0: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive.
2: Welcome everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Heckel. I'm your host. We have two guests today: David Goldstein and Uriel Halavi. and we're going to talk a little bit about their business in cannabis, and CBD, and some of the work that they're doing. Some exciting stuff. I'm excited about this one. Experts in the medical side as well. So we're going to talk about the medical side of this industry. With that, welcome to the program.
3: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us.
2: So, David, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you were both PotBotics originally, and then working on now our green- Solutions, you've got some interesting CBD products coming up. Let's let's talk about just a little bit of the backgrounds and then we can talk about some of the business things and, and some of these new ventures and these new products that you're bringing to market.
3: Absolutely. So, started popbotics about six years ago, co founded a company focused on educating doctors and patients more about what the science side of cannabis is about. We launched an application called PopBot that broke cannabis down to different cannabinoids so that there was a more transparent conversation. About the more than ten thousand strains in the marketplace, yeah. and at the same time, uh, my background is in marketing and really working with startups and scale up. So uh, it was exciting to found this business. They've moved on to creating a dose measuring vaporizer. Right around the time that I decided to depart as the company geared to go public, we wanted a more experienced public facing CEO. Yep. And oh, to right. be honest with you, I take a lot of enjoyment in that startup scale up phase of the company. That's really where my, I work to my strengths. Yeah. So it was a great transition. Uh, the company's in a good position to succeed moving forward. But right now, uh, working on some new exciting ventures that I'm excited to talk about today.
2: Excellent. And Yuride, tell us about your background and, and how you and David met and what your angle to the business is.
4: Sure, absolutely. My background is a little bit different. I got my MBA from Binghamton University, was always in the finance industry. And, you know, medical cannabis has always been such a uh, interesting topic and a passion of mine ever since my aunt started using it when she was going through uh, some of her treatments. Yeah. And some of the challenges that she went through, it really hit home for me. Yeah. And I thought, you know, this is super interesting. This is something I want to affect change. in. So um, I actually called David up, who we met in high school. We've been, you know, very good friends. ever Wow. Since. Yeah. And I asked him, you know, I know that PopBotics is doing some things in the industry. I would love to learn more, to, more about it. And lo and behold, we, we oh, hit it wow. off again. Mm-hmm. And I came onto the business, um, helped out with business development, even some investor relations, and kind of tried to move the needle forward in getting our company uh, sales and bringing our products to market.
2: Great. And tell us a little bit more, just kind of round us in terms of what PotBotics did and then uh, how you kind of came up with or or pivoted into our green solutions. And you're primarily working on the medical side, if I remember rightly, then and tell us about the medical focus versus adult use and how that's kind of shaped things for you.
3: Absolutely. So this is David speaking. What we did when we started PotBotics is that we looked at where the current space was from a data mining standpoint. How can we take these thousands of strains, and start actually correlating them to patient results so that physicians could have meaningful conversations. On a higher level, there is a really big difference between an adult use or recreational user versus a medical user. An adult use or recreational user, they, they use out of desire, usually to get some type of uh, high whether that's something like CBD which is relief from everyday stresses or something that's high in THC that's already you know a psychoactive effect yeah. that might improve their inner marriage relationship <laughs> or enjoy their concert uh, yeah. you know a medical user is using out of necessity yeah. oftentimes these users do not like the feeling of being stoned There's a big stigma around it, but not only that, you have to imagine this is someone that goes to work in the morning, that's using cannabis to alleviate their back pain instead of opiates. Uh, This is a mother trying to go about her day but needs this for a plethora of different reasons. And what's exciting about cannabis is that it has so many different medical uses. One of the questions that I often get is, how can this one plant help with so many different things from anxiety to fibromyalgia? Uh, The answer is, is that in the 1990s, we identified something called the endocannabinoid system. It's one of the largest receptor networks in the body, and it helps promote homeostasis. So that's why it is able to help with both mental and physical ailments. And mm-hmm. it's a really new field of study for physicians. So when we started Popotics. The whole conversation was how can we improve data collection and really add an extra level of integrity and science backing to these conversations that physicians and patients want to have. So while PopBotics was very focused on the medical side of the industry and the company grew to launch an app in the Apple App Store, a dose measuring vaporizer, a physician dashboard to help educate physicians, as I was the co-founder and CEO of that company, my goal was really to remove the stigma, bring more people into this conversation and have a real conversation that has a foundation based in science and something that you could continue growing as more data gets collected in the space. Yeah since leaving the company? Oh, sorry, Bruce, were you going
2: to say something? Well, I was just going to ask. I mean, I, I think the the challenge or at least the perceived challenge that uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about is just the lack of good data we have around cannabis historically, particularly from a medical point of view. I mean, is this, is that the case? Did you, I mean, were you able to find and have you been able to find good medical data about, um, you know, related to to cannabis that you could use to help with the kind of treatment planning and things like that? I mean, we're, we're tell me about the data side.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I, there's a lot of factors that went into how we actually built the AI reason that pulled the data. When we look at it from the perspective of cannabinoids and terpenes, there's actually a lot of studies done on terpenes. Unfortunately, a lot of that had to do with olfactory sensor and how that has to do with essential oils and diffusers. Uh, But when it comes to cannabinoids, now we have a lot of different levels of study. You've got studies that came out in the 1970s, around the time that THC was first identified, when that was found, you had studies on here are the effects of just THC. Then in the around 80s, early 90s, we got studies on CBD. Now we've expanded to six cannabinoids that we could test for from a actual testing, what the actual potency of those cannabinoids are. And you've got results of potentially 143 different cannabinoids. It's so not to get a little bit ahead of myself, but the answer is where the time and place of that study takes a place yeah. is extremely important. And on the other side, there's Absolutely ways to begin correlating things like CBN, CBG, CBD, THC, THCV. What are those cannabinoids seeing markers for from a health improvement? And then looking at strains as a whole and starting to say, well, okay, You grow sour diesel in California. You grow sour diesel in Colorado. Those cannabinoid levels might be different based on the strain name, but I could still have a meaningful conversation of, okay, I'm looking for a mid-THC, something that's around 15% THC with THCV. That really makes the conversation something like here's where i'm getting my medical benefit from which are these molecular structures mm, okay. instead of just a conversation of hey here's sour diesel here's white widow because oftentimes there's no regulatory body a saying hey here this strain <laughs> is that strain
2: yeah exactly right yeah uh,
3: but the fact that states and this is something that i highly encourage the fact that states have begun mandating testing on these strains not just for pesticides and mold but for cannabinoid potency yeah gives, gives an extra layer of transparency that simply wasn't there 10 years ago go.
2: Yeah. Interesting. So tell us about getting into Our Green Solutions. What was the focus there? How did you make that transition? Tell us about that business.
3: So Our Green Solutions is a consulting, in the, a consulting firm focused on helping companies scale in the medical cannabis space. Uh, what we did is that we took our understanding of East Coast, which tends to lend itself more to the medical side of the industry. Yep. And what we really feel is currently an untapped market. When you look at New York, New Jersey, even Massachusetts now picking up momentum from both rec and medical, the future of East Coast cannabis is very bright. And I think that a lot of players that are coming in from the West Coast don't quite understand the cultural differences, the legal differences, the nuances that they need to expand here. And also brands that are starting on the East Coast that want to scale among the East Coast. That's one of, in general, the issues in the industry is that scaling is a challenge. And I think that a lot of new entrepreneurs coming into this industry from other sectors, let's say, let's use technology as an example, when they start to scale they think of okay it's going to be as easy as getting these api accesses and then now we could scale to every single state now that we have this foundation of our software built but the reality is, is that every state has different regulatory needs different labeling needs different real marketplaces that even when you're scaling something like technology that i could make changes at my base in new york for for example laws enacted in north and south carolina I still need to be very aware that scaling into those states will require their own integration teams and really limit our ability to scale on a national level day one. So what our Green Solutions goal is, is to come in to help startups or scale ups understand what it takes to gain brand equity in this space. What does it take to be compliant in the states that they want to go after and really help execute on marketing and go to business strategies uh, with a team of experienced players that when you combine the whole team's efforts, we've had over 30 years in the industry, which We often joke a year in cannabis is like dog years because things change so quickly. So I'm happy to say that we have quite a veteran team helping make those decisions.
2: Yeah. So you're right. Tell us about some of the challenges or some of the um, obstacles that you've just run into and how you've overcome them. I and mean, what's what's been the nature of building the business? Um, I mean, it's interesting because you're not touching plants. So you're not dealing with the at least directly dealing with the regulatory and the, the legal aspect to it. But what else has come up Have you, as you've built this business around the cannabis space and helping companies navigate that process?
4: Absolutely. So there's a few problems, and just like David mentioned, the difference in you know regulations and uh, and laws on the federal level and also on the state level create a ton of obstacles for people that just. Enter the industry or are trying to scale in order to, you know, meet their goals, meet their demand and to reach that end user and buyer. So a lot of our experience, like David mentioned, it comes in technology. A lot of it comes in marketing, understanding what that end user wants and how to develop a product that is missing in the industry and something that the end buyer will see perceived value in. So one of the main issues that's been out there has been the inability of companies to understand what does the end user want? This industry is so new and there's so many different types of buyers in it, right? Like you have, for example, on the West Coast, you have the guy that just wants to get high and he wants the coolest way to get high. Mm-hmm. And you have on the East Coast, somebody who wants the fastest way to get their medication to work for them. Yeah. And beyond that, we're talking even further, how do you market to those people? How do you market to that medical consumer Without saying, oh, this is the benefits that cannabis has and marketing to the guy who just wants to get high by saying, you know, this is the highest THC when you can't say those words. So those are just two of the biggest problems and finding solutions and identifying the best ways to market to those people and creating the best products to get into the user's hands has been some of the biggest challenges for companies that are starting across the industry.
2: Yeah. So let's, and let's dig into that for folks. I think I want to make sure people understand, or at least get a little more insight into the marketing, you know, kind of informational challenges that you have, you know, both for adult use and for medical. I mean, at this point, what can you say what can you not say why can't who's regulating these things what are the what are the kind of the rules and the boundaries to these rules that end up impacting your ability to effectively market and to make claims and to talk about benefits from in these products
3: so we have a great case study example of this right now we're working with a very exciting brand called very good cbd which is a line of smokable hemp product so this is the raw form of hemp mm-hmm. this is it looks like flour it's a new boom you see Growers now growing artisanal grows in specific for people to smoke, which when originally hemp was legalized by the Farm Bill in 2018, that wasn't really the vision for the Farm Bill. The vision for the Farm Bill was, okay, let's make hemp now a textile, hemp rope, hemp plastics, which has a very bright future. But when talking about CBD in specific, or THC for that matter, you run into a lot of issues. For one, this is something that is in kind of an FDA gray zone. Why do I say that? The FDA said that they want to regulate it, that CBD yeah. should fall under them. But for what it's worth, when they're talking about CBD, they talk about CBD as a deliverable. So that's a CBD tincture, a CBD edible, a CBD dog treat, for example. These mm-hmm. would fall under the FDA's domain. What's interesting is that the raw hemp form of it is, for lack of a better legalese word for it, it's the most legal form of it. It's literally a Farm Bill Act that says raw hemp is now legal for interstate commerce is a federally legal substance and you're seeing States create whole plans on how to grow hemp in their state and how to really encourage the side of the industry because in our opinion, I think it's an industry with a very bright future because of all of hemp's different uses. But the issue when it comes to marketing and you're talking about CBD is how can you talk about it? We saw recently Cura Leaf got a letter from the FDA saying, stop making medical claims, stop saying this is going to help with insomnia, relieving anxiety, any type of anti-inflammatory claims, which really leads to a conversation of how can you market this? Not only that, you see that Google and Bing and Instagram don't allow for paid advertisement the way that you would in another industry. So when coming across those challenges, you have to be unique, you have to be unique to the marketplace you're pushing to. Is it something guerrilla marketing related? Is it boots on the ground? Is it boots on the ground? Is it events? Is it another strategy for getting online engagement outside of paid advertising? And one of the reasons, just to add to what David was saying, one of the reasons that
4: the marketing difficulties continue is the differences in states. You know, going back to the medical versus recreational for the medical user marketing in those states, you really want to, you know, go after the doctors, the physicians that really explain to the end user why cannabis is good for them and what makes cannabis and specific strains that are high in different potencies of different cannabinoids what makes those strains you know valuable to the users if we're talking about states like california where there's a high rate of recreational users you're going to want to create a you know online marketing campaigns that that you could market directly to the end user and show them, you know, this is the coolest constraint strain or this is what a lot of people are smoking and this is why they're smoking it um, or why they're vaporizing it, why they're eating it. So all these different markets create challenges for companies that are just starting up to understand how do I market here and what's what's the best return on investment for my company in these different marketing platforms.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it certainly seems a challenge. I mean, kind of navigating the, what do I want to say? What can I say? When can I say it? Where can I say it? Where can I not say it? Is is part of the kind of crazy situation we're in the cannabis industry on this kind of state by state and the federal issues. But I'm curious on the medical side, you spoke briefly about marketing to doctors or to kind of educate doctors. I mean, what's the state or what's your kind of perception of, The number of doctors that are kind of pro-cannabis or uh, at least cannabis friendly, where, I guess, where are we on the medical side in terms of the medical profession, medical professionals embracing cannabis as a form of treatment for some of these conditions?
3: You know, unfortunately, we're far behind. And when I mean that, I mean some very clear terms. For one, they're not currently educating about the endocannabinoid system as part of your general medical education to become a physician. Yeah. A lot of times the physician used to initiate that themselves by taking a continued medical research class about the endocannabinoid system, which happens to be one of the most popular yeah. classes that physicians are taking. But the issue there is that it's on the initiative of the physician themselves. And one of the marketplaces that's really interesting to look at is Canada, because what happened in Canada was that Canada went federally legal, but they didn't really make an effort to catch up their physicians. So suddenly you've got all these physicians that whether they were on the fence or not on the fence about cannabis, having to have cannabis conversations because their phys- their patients are in their rights to purchase this and they want to know how this could benefit them. So as America moves itself towards legalization, which is something that we do believe is going to happen, I don't think it's a matter of if, but a matter of when. And there's a lot of unpacking there to understand when <laughs> the when is, Yeah. A lot of factors, but there should be a concern that we're going to potentially legalize faster than the physician community could catch up on. Yeah. I can't tell you how many physicians you know I've met at networking parties that say, hey, I'm all for it, but I can't even talk to my patients about it. And yeah, I or, or my
2: patients system. know more than I do.
3: <laughs> a lot of times, and, they're, and they yeah. want to know, but one of their risk factors is how much of a conversation can I have? Should I say that I'm pro-cannabis? Once I say I'm pro-cannabis, do I have to talk to them about dosing? Am I now on the liability of if the patient doses too much? And how do I even have a conversation about dosing when my patient wants to smoke a joint or they or a water pipe. Yeah. Uh, these are real issues that if you look at how a physician goes about their life, where they have a prescription pad and they want to say, I want you to take this pill in the morning, five milligrams, and this pill in the evening, 10 milligrams. You can't have that conversation with cannabis currently. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we're moving towards that more standardized dose conversation. Uh, the modality of that is a very interesting conversation. What is the future of actual cannabis deliverables? But to be honest with you, I think that a lot of physicians are more positive about this conversation. And you know, one of the telltale signs of that is, you know, just last week, ARP launched a feature about cannabis and health for yeah, adult use. so I mean, yeah, we're seeing a destigmatization happen, but the real leaders of this while I do think it will be the populace, needs to be the physicians. And while I'm encouraged by a lot of them taking action on themselves to go learn about the endocannabinoid system, which isn't some type of pseudoscience, this is very much medical fact that this receptor network exists in our body. We produce endogenous cannabinoids. Cannabis happens to have these phytocannabinoids, mm-hmm. one of the only plants outside of flaxseed that has phytocannabinoids, plant-based cannabinoids that binds to the endocannabinoid system. I'm encouraged that physicians are taking this class. And almost all those classes that are being offered in states for continued medical education for CME courses are really filled to the brim with physicians. But at the same time, I'd like to see more universities and more, hopefully one day, insurance companies encouraging this conversation amongst physicians so it is part of their curriculum and not something that they need to go out of their way to learn about.
2: Yeah. And what have you, you, I guess, identified or have noticed in terms of a state-by-state difference? Is there anything, I mean, we kind of mentioned at the top of the show that you're kind of East Coast focused or there's kind of the East Coast tends to be more medical focused, West Coast, you know, a little more adult use, rec focus. Is there anything that you've noticed about either differences, subtle differences between the states or how you know the states have kind of legalized and how that impacts the medical side? Any interesting patterns or, oh, or things? I, that you- I,
3: absolutely. There's a huge pattern. You know, let's take the state of Washington state, for example. Yeah. Originally, what did they do? They had a recreational license, they had a medical license, and they encouraged physicians to talk to patients on the medical side of the industry. At one point they decided, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I wanna say this happened in 2017, that they decided they were going to roll up medical and recreational into one store. So you no longer need a medical uh, Mm. in specific establishment, recreational establishments can now serve to medical. What was the shift that happened? Less physicians became engaged in the conversation, more of the quote-unquote bud tenders were required to have some type of health training, usually one person on staff, that could answer some medical facing questions. But what we've done is that we've changed the shift from a physician-patient relationship to now a bud tender patient relationship, which isn't nearly as close to, for example, a caregiver-patient yeah. relationship. This is, you know, a person there that, you know, they want to push what they have most in inventory, what they have highest margins on. And let's assume they're the most ethical player. They don't have a medical background. They don't have a patient case on this, you know, consumer. So what you see is you start seeing a lack of interest from physicians in Washington because they're less engaged. And that was purely due how the industry decided to establish the law laws in Washington state, you know, to juxtapose that, take a look at a state like New Jersey or even New York. You need a physician to give you a medical cannabis recommendation. Oftentimes that recommendation sometimes expires within one month. So what that means is that you need a constantly to hear your physician on a monthly basis to renew your cannabis subscription. Now, do I think that's the best solution? No. But what it does is that it encourages that physician-patient relationship. So New York physicians are interested in having that conversation and really maintaining a relationship that you wouldn't get in a state that didn't structure itself that way. And just to add to what David was saying,
4: you know, I think that especially in the medical states, given how every single state has different laws, it kind of creates both challenges and benefits. So, for example, like David mentioned, New York and New Jersey, which is a perfect example. New York, for example, doesn't allow the sale of flour, you know, which has its own makeup, its own endocannabinoid characteristics. So you have these doctors that are present in each state that have to study specifically how to market and how to provide better product feedback only regarding those states' regulations. But on the other hand, what I personally believe is that a lot of these medical states, because they have these strict regulations, and even when it comes to growers, they end up creating products that are better for you, that aren't price-driven, cost-driven, such as the farms in California and Colorado that you know kind of get into this um, bottom feeder price war, mm-hmm. that you know, who could create the cheapest flower that's the best? Mm-hmm. And in on the East Coast, it's more like who could create the best flower for their users in order to get that market trend or to provide the most benefits. Those users will end up coming back to you if their medical symptoms get alleviated. Yeah. Um, so you have you know both challenges and benefits. For the doctors, it's a little more challenging only learning on their state-by-state basis and their rules on how to promote products, how to find which products that work best for their patients. But on the patient side, it's actually better to be in a medical state because they have higher-end products. They have products that aren't grown on farms that aren't audited specifically by that state on a regular basis. So, you know, there's both benefits and there's negatives to that.
2: Yeah, it just always struck me as just odd how this legalization has played out on these states where the, you know, the doctors prescribe or, or basically qualify you as having a, a qualifying condition or say that you have a qualifying condition then you've got to go off to the dispensary to the, basically start the process over again to say okay well I'm, I'm qualified to use cannabis but now I have to figure out what to take and now I've gonna I've got these bud tenders that are basically diagnosing my ailments and helping me figure out the prescription for me it harks back to you know early you know late 1800s early 1900s medicine where the pharmacist was basically a selling anything they could think of that that they could make money on, you know, and the whole prescribing process that could be put in place to control it. I mean, we're back at this kind of wild west of, um, you know, being able to sell anything under uh, under these conditions. So, I mean, do you think is the is the ultimate solution around this to really tighten up the connection between the prescribing doctor and the sort of quote unquote pharmacy or the you know the the dispensary where the pharmacist can or the uh, doctor can really say okay yeah here's 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 what I want you to do I want you to take you know, three of these in the morning, two of these in the afternoon, you know, six times a week, and then call me and we'll see how it goes. I mean, is is that is that where we go with this to make this uh, a more effective industry?
3: Bruce, I think you're hitting on one of the biggest issues in the industry. And I think there's it's a multifaceted problem. Let's start from the high level perspective. I think that cannabis patients need to have the ability to integrate their cannabis based regimen into their existing EMR, okay. electric medical regimen. If they have an easy way to access what your medical record says and what you've been prescribed and what your current prescription is and what the potential use that you're using cannabis under, that will help streamline this experience because there currently is no real electric medical record for cannabis. One of the funny things I noticed while I was traveling in Colorado is that everyone decided to take uh, medical records on paper and pencil. And I said, mm. well, why aren't you guys electrifying this? Why aren't yeah. you moving into the digital age? And they said, well, you know, unfortunately in the state of Colorado, if you have a cannabis recommendation, they take away your ability to purchase a firearm. Yep. <laughs> and that's the reason that they still keep things pen and paper is that people yeah. are afraid that their rights are going to be taken away, that their insurance company is going to drop them if they have a medical cannabis card, which is mm-hmm. a real possibility. There yeah. are ramifications to publicly being a medical cannabis card holder. I think that helps encourage the black market. I think that does a disservice to physicians really trying to do their work. So let's start from the high level of, let's get medical records, digital medical records that pharmacists and doctors can be on the same page with what does a prescription look like? I think that we need to refine what does prescription mean. In some states, you hit the nail on the head. Doctors just recommend cannabis might work for you. And now it's a bud tender conversation. they are few and far in between, but there are physicians that, Go over that and say, No, I want to know what my patients are taking. I want to make a regimen for them. I want to keep them having a strain journal so I could have a meaningful conversation with my patient group. And then it also comes down to just the modality of dosing. What does dosing look like in the future? It's easy for us to say, Oh, take this in the morning, take that at night, but how many options are there? There are THC pills, there are nasal delivery, there are Mm -hmm. tinctures, but a lot of times, even things like patches are slow acting. You're talking about a 45 yep. minute to two hour onset, especially if you're recommending something with that just CBD, it might not be a quote unquote noticeable effect. Uh, that's why patients often gravitate towards smoking because it's instantaneous relief. Uh, if you're a post-traumatic stress veteran and you're about to have an episode, you'd rather smoke Just in all honesty, because that's something that will help calm you down instead of, you know, taking a microdose of an edible and having to wait another hour till that potentially takes effect. So I think that there's really three main problems. That's the unifying and really making integrated medical records uh, that could be accessed digitally, bringing physicians into a conversation where they understand, hey, where is the line of my conversation? And then finally, actually talking about dosing. What does a cannabis prescription look like? It's still so early on in the industry especially on the medical side of this, which helps really build the recreational side. But I think it's important that states that do decide to go recreational don't just abandon their medical community. There's still people in Washington suffering from fibromyalgia, yep. suffering from wasting syndrome that have real medical questions and want real medical context to their purchasing decisions that they're simply not getting because the industry has left them behind to a more recreational conversation. So it's a multifaceted issue and the only way to get it together is to really work through the current healthcare system and medical establishment to push these issues through. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in the same position of Canada where the populace has voted this to become legal. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see that in the upcoming elections as a hot button issues that bipartisan. And then it's going to be up to a major lift from the healthcare industry to play catch up to what will potentially be a federally legal substance that has a lot of medical questions surrounding it. Yeah. Well, and
2: and so you hit on my next question, which is, you know, how is the international market kind of playing into this or the international kind of industry around this? So we've got, you know, a couple of countries that have now legalized, uh, well, in the US, we've got both Canada and Mexico, both have various levels of, or at least on the way of to to legal Legalize in various levels. How is that impacting the market, or how is that impacting the industry? And and where do you see that playing out over the next couple of years?
4: Well, I think that the international markets are actually providing a little bit of a use case um, for the United States. You know, if, if we're moving forward and if we are going to legalize this, you know, there's countries like. Um, Israel, when it's not completely legalized, but it's a hotbed for research. They Mm -hmm. allow you to understand how the plant affects different types of symptoms, how it affects different types of medical ailments in order to kind of provide a basis around the rules that will come once regularization happens. And then we have someone, you know, a country like Canada, which has its own issues, one of which was they gave a lot of power to these big conglomerates, uh, canopy, what have you. And From what I understand from a lot of the patients that I've personally spoke with in Canada, they don't like to buy from these big conglomerates because they don't understand what the patients need. They're there to provide as much flour as possible, as many tinctures, as many oils as possible to the greater masses. They don't tailor it around what the end medical user would like. So it creates, like David mentioned before, kind of a bifurification of between the medical user and the recreational user. So I think that when it comes to regulating the entire country and creating legalization, we need to be very careful as to how we legalize it. If we're talking about federal legalization on the medical level, I think that would actually be better because it would help us understand the regulations. It would help us understand how this plant needs to be brought into the market in a controlled manner versus creating legalization on the federal level that will be um, you know, just direct to the end user and something that everybody could buy on the corner store because that would essentially alienate a lot of the medical users that seek relief from cannabis and that rely on their doctors to provide them with the information that they need in order to get that.
2: Treatment. Yeah. Uh, we're going to hit time here. David, you're I, Thank you so much for being on the program here. If people want to find out more information about you, about Our Green Solutions, what's the best way to get that information?
3: Uh, feel free to reach out to us. My email is David at VeryGoodCBD or David at Our Green Solutions. More than happy to answer any questions that anyone might have. And in general, I think we're looking at a optimistic year for both the public markets in the cannabis space and also regulatory change. So always exciting to be on this wave of great momentum. And Bruce, thanks so much for having us today to talk a little bit more about our expertise.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for being on. Great conversation. I think a lot of good takeaways on where this business is going, not only from an adult use rec side, but really on the medical side. Great points. Hopefully, we uh, we don't impact the medical side too much with this growth of rec. So uh, I think it's important work you're doing. And, and thanks for uh thank Thanks for taking the time today. Absolutely,
4: Appreciate Bruce. It. Thanks for having us.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.